What did you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, ah, damn it. I knew you were going to ask me that, Tim. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm one of your like many podcast guests who also drink coffee uh, for breakfast. <laughs> I'm um, learning to just accept this now. I'm the only one who's not having coffee for breakfast and I need to get over it. Hi, I'm Tim. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast celebrating the resiliency of the human spirit through conversations with extraordinary people. We talk about all aspects of life here, imposter syndrome, breaking free from the script, living with intention, boundaries with family, what it means to be vulnerable, and the fact that we're all really just making this up as we go along. We're not perfect. We're not alone. We're only human. Today, I'm joined by Kevin Raheja. He's a son, a brother, director of strategic partnerships at Active Campaign, and in a previous life, a commercial fisherman. A while back, you spent a few years working on a commercial fishing boat out in Alaska after you. So you drop out of college and then you head up to Alaska in search of a job in commercial fishing. Why did you head up to Alaska? Like, why were you looking for that specifically? Yeah, it's a good question. So first of all, I dropped out of the college that my mom taught at. She uh, was and is a professor um, at the University of Minnesota. So that was um, uh, not a popular uh, maneuver for me. And, Ooh, um, but, yeah. you know, I, I was in a I remember I, I remember I was in a psychology class and there was like sixteen hundred people in that class. And I was like, what, what are we all doing here? Like, we're all just going to graduate and all find like the same job. And it, it like ate away at me. And uh, to pay for college, um, I was working at um, Cox Publications uh, in an advertising role. And so I was in a cubicle uh, like all day. Um, and then I would go to school. And I think there's just something where I was like, I need to be more free. And it like, I wanted to do the exact opposite of what I was doing and be in the exact opposite environment of what I was in while also, uh, you know, like really pushing myself and trying to find a challenge. So I was just like, you know what, I'm going to go up to Alaska and try to find uh, a fishing job. I'll camp out there for a couple of weeks. If I can't find a job, I'll just have a fun time like camping out there. Uh, but if I do find a job, it'll be like an adventure and I'll make some money and we'll just see what happens from there. And I was young and in my 20s and I, I really just honestly didn't have a plan back then. But uh, this was what I was going to do. Yeah. How many of us ever have a plan, right? So your mom teaching at the college, I imagine there was a conversation there. Or was she very supportive? I mean, I, I feel like my parents definitely would have had a conversation with me and been disappointed. But I feel like a lot of people have parents who are supportive of them kind of just finding their way. Yeah, my mom was definitely disappointed for sure. But uh, she has often in my life been disappointed with some of my decisions, but also supportive of them. <laughs> and so this was uh, certainly one of those uh, those decisions that she was hesitant. Uh, she didn't think it was the right idea, but nonetheless, she was uh, gratefully supportive of it. Well, that's good. So you, I, I'm curious, like, you leave college, it feels to me like you sort of 
had this yearning to, like you said, like find the exact opposite of what you thought you were headed into. And so to do that, you just had to like rip the bandaid off and just be like, I'm done with traditional school. I'm heading out Northwest and I'm going to find my own education, so to speak, like where you just, it's over. I'm starting fresh. I, you know, I don't know that I was thinking that far into the future. I just know, knew that at the time I needed a break from what I was doing and that if I continued down the path of, um, you know, and I, I mentor kids in the Bay Area and I tell them like, this is not uh, a good plan, what I did. <laughs> um, but at the time when I uh, dropped out of college, I felt like the four year degree wasn't working for me. I felt like uh, academia wasn't uh, training me to be um, successful in a career that I wanted to pursue. So um, I think I just needed a break, some headspace. And in order to do that, something was telling me that I needed to go to Alaska. Um, so I camped out there for two weeks. I found a boat uh, that needed deckhands for salmon fishing. Um, and by the way, I had a, I brought like four or five books out there. So I was like reading and doing what I thought was uh, self-education. Um, and uh, and uh, I ended up staying on that particular boat for six months from, I want to say it was like May to uh, August or September. I'm not very familiar with that level of fishing, but from what I understand, especially, um, was it crab fishing? Um, that's not easy or safe work so to speak i mean that's it's risky work right like this is yeah you're you're out in i mean um i think i read you wrote somewhere that you were sleeping like four hours every 70 or within a 72 hour period or something so i mean you it, it sounds like chaos to me that's what it sounds like and not in a bad way but it just sounds chaotic yeah it was utter chaos and i like i loved it so much like um so, yeah, so the first season I did was salmon, um, and that's pretty laid back, Tim. So there's, you know, you're you're on a boat, you're fishing from, like, sunup to sundown. Okay. You, you get rest, you eat, you eat proper meals and things like this. <laughs> um, and, and, and my, uh, my cap, the captain of that boat owned a crab fishing boat. And so I eventually went on to work for him and do crab. And that's where it got nuts because they, um, they shorten the seasons. The seasons range from like, uh, three to seven or no, I think three to 10 weeks, at least when I was doing it back then. And by the way, this was before the deadliest catch show, uh, came out. So once that show came out, everybody started going up to Alaska and trying, uh, to be a commercial crab fisherman. And people were getting hurt because they were inexperienced. People were dying because they were inexperienced. Um, so I was kind of lucky to get, you know, like I read a book, um, in probably 2000, 2001, um, about commercial fishing in Alaska. And that's kind of like what planted the seed in my brain that this would be a fun thing to do. Um, and then the show came out and it was chaos and I don't think I could, uh, have done it, uh, when the show came out cause there was just too many people going up there. When you, when you were salmon fishing and then had the opportunity to do the crab fishing, which sounds like it was a totally different style of, of fishing and work and lifestyle, were you aware that it would be that different or were you just sort of like, I'm up for anything and we'll see what happens? Yeah. And you have to remember, I was like 20 two 23 years old in like the prime shape of my life and so like that that stuff didn't really scare me like the physical exertion didn't really scare me too much um i i was not prepared for the the mental 
uh, exertion that would co- that would come alongside that with not having sleep and just you know like working for days and days on end. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I knew how much work it would be. I knew it would be a lot more work, um, and it was something that I wanted to do. Uh, and you know that that also came with more money too. You can make more money uh, doing crab fishing, and that's appealing to a, a young a young man in the in t- two thousand three. Sure. So twenty two. I don't know how how many of us at twenty two really know like who we are or or why we're doing what we're doing. We're I, so I, I I don't imagine many of us do. I imagine you're on this boat and you're in this lifestyle, there has to be some sort of like, I'm starting to understand this is who I am and this is what I just learned about myself. Were there any sort of things you, you started to, to pull out of yourself and be like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that? Yeah, no, I, I don't think there were any at all. I think what happened was that uh, in your early 20s, uh, a lot of people try to find themselves at that age and this was my way of like finding myself and finding what my interests were. I would do that like in my head while I was working on the, on the, on the, on the boats. I would just, you know, think about myself, my mortality even because mother nature's like trying to kill you at all times. Um, and I was reading in my free time and I was really just out there trying to find myself. And I think the lesson that I learned after the fishing was that, that I took away, um, was that I can overcome challenges. Uh, I can overcome like great challenges. Um, and so to overcome that, to overcome, uh, you know, mother nature trying to uh, murder you, uh, to overcome like the physical and the mental exhaustion that you experience on those boats. I think that's um, that was the biggest takeaway for me that I can overcome that. And then, you know, like from fishing experience going into the world of tech and startups, that was almost easy for me to do that. Like working like the startup grind in my first startup job, um, that was relatively easy for me. Um, and that was the take, the big takeaway for me was that, uh, taking that experience and applying it to, um, other activities that I would pursue next in my life. Did you feel sort of invincible after that? Like, I just survived what most people don't even have the chance to do. So there's really no challenge I can't overcome now. I think I felt um, invincible from the standpoint of what I could and couldn't do. But I think like I walked away from it with a sense of being even more mortal, like and like thinking about my own mortality even more, because um, when you're put in a situation where. Um, you know, your fight and flight mechanism is just like uh, going uh, crazy the entire time you're doing something like that. Your adrenaline's uh, going. And uh, when you come down from that and and evaluate that ex- the experience, um, you walk away with like less of a sense of mortal invincibility, but more of a sense of um, uh, I've, I've overcome something uh, pretty cool and um I, I can now apply that to other things. You mentioned that it sort of prepared you for your work that you moved into in startups and tech companies, I, which is really interesting to me because you were one of the first employees or the first you know couple of years of employees at Groupon, which you know ended up being the fastest growing tech company and one of the most world renowned you know success stories and all that. H- how in the world did you end up you know getting off the boat? 
in Alaska and then at a tech company and uh, that tech company evolved. But it, it just, again, in my yeah. mind, two very separate mindsets and industries and just things to do with your time. Where yeah. did you connect those two somehow? Yeah. So I had about five years of fishing experience under my belt and I went back uh, to my home in Minnesota, in Minneapolis. And um, I was like, oh no, I have to get like a real job now. I cannot do this for, um, you know, like into adulthood. Uh, So I found a job at the Star Tribune, which is the local uh, newspaper. It's one of the top 10 largest, uh, or it was the one of the top 10 largest newspapers in the U.S. at the time. And um, I got that job because of my experience in at Cox Publications uh, in advertising. Um, and so I was doing working on the, in the advertising side of Star Tribune. Um, and I'd been doing that for, oh, I don't know, maybe a year or two, I, I want to say. Um, and then uh, Groupon uh, came out and I was looking at it and I was like, oh, wow, that is cool. That's um that company is going to be significant. And I just applied to Groupon um, and I was lucky enough to get hired. um, And I was lucky enough that they didn't um, ask me if I, uh, or care if I had a BA. (laughs) Um, And so I was one of the first hundred employees of Groupon um, just by applying very early on from seeing them in the market. And having that uh, prior advertising experience under my belt as well. Gotcha. So it just kind of caught your eye based on the job you were in at the time. Yeah. And, you know, I was at Groupon for a couple of years and we got, uh, you know, a little bit of equity and um, we got to ride that adrenaline rush of, uh, of growth that we experienced. And uh, I was kind of hooked uh, in in the in the tech and startup world after after Groupon. Um, I knew this was going to be my career, and that I wanted to be in this world of uh, of startups. Um, it was uh, as chaotic as uh, fishing to me, and uh, it was the first like um, you know professional industry that I've ever uh, that I ever worked in that I ever discovered that was kind of as chaotic almost as. Uh, working on a crab boat, uh, the ups and downs and the perilousness and uh, uncertainty. Uh, I, I kind of um, was attracted to that. Was mom excited when you left the crab fishing boat and moved into a more, I don't know, safe <laughs> uh, job? Yeah, yeah. She, she, she was definitely pleased that I'd uh, settled on land, I think. <laughs> so... Um, I understand your dad passed away suddenly from a heart attack when he was quite young. Um, was that during the time that you were up in Alaska? Yeah. So like, I still have, um, some, uh, feelings about, I think like my, my dad's death that I, that are kind of unresolved. I think about a lot, but, um, yeah, I was never a good student in in high school, um, and I was uh, not a good student in college. Um, and and my dad is uh, from India; he's an immigrant from India, and so he um, you know had these like high expectations uh, for his son um, to succeed in academia and go on to um, you know pursue a career uh, somewhere. And so uh, yeah, he passed away in two thousand seven. I was uh, still fishing at the time, and um, uh, and and so yeah, he ne- he never got to see me uh, in my professional career, and I think 
you know, to some degree that that motivates me a lot today in ways that um, I'm not even quite certain I understand. Motivates you in the sense that like maybe you feel like you're not wanting to like show him what you're doing, but sort no, of. No, I think that's it. Yeah. Like sort of I, I like. I think that's I, it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I think I'm, I still think I'm trying to prove to my dad that uh, I'm capable of uh, working oh. uh, in, you know, like at, at a career that he would have been proud of. Would you say that he's sort of like, it sounds like he's a motivator just for you in, in daily life, like just for everything you do, you maybe have him in the back of your mind? Yeah, I think so. I think for sure subconsciously um, and every once in a while, maybe even consciously. Um, but yeah, it's it's a, it's a motivator uh, for sure. Oh, that's, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, I, he was what, 58. I mean, that's, that's so young. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So you group on and then you kind of fall in love with um, the chaos of tech companies and you kind of seem to find your, your, your home there. Um, I've seen you've, you've traveled and I don't know if it's because of the work you do, but you've traveled all over the place. Um, I'm really curious, like, what role does traveling play in your life? Is it just business or you, you strike me as the type of person that might just be constantly looking for to explore this world? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like traveling was a part of my life growing up. And when I was in second grade, uh, my mom was doing field work. Uh, She is in the anthropology department um, and she was doing field work in India. Um, And uh, she took me uh, and my sister to India, like to live in a really small village for six months, Uh, pulled, pulled me out of second grade to do that. And, uh, it was a complete, I mean, you know, like going from, uh, I I grew up in Chicago. So from going from, you know, the, the big city of Chicago to a small village in, uh, outside of New Delhi, when you're in second grade, you just have this, um, uh, awareness that, um, there are completely different places, uh, in the world, uh, than what you're used to. And, uh, I think it was really healthy for me. I think it's really healthy, um, uh, you know, to experience that. And um, ever since then, I've just been curious about other places that are different. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I've traveled to um, uh, a bit, uh, you know, South Korea and um, and uh, uh, Colombia and all over Europe. And, um, you know, I, I try to travel as much as I can and uh, take time off. And I was really able to do a lot of that. Um, when I had time off from fishing. So we'd work like seven, eight months uh, a year, come home with a bag of cash, like literally a bag of cash. And then we, <laughs> uh, you know, I would just, uh, you know, pre, um, you know, like, uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I would go and just like kind of walk down the aisles of Delta and, and just like pick a plate, a destination and pay, uh, and, and like pay it, you know, for the plane ticket on the spot and just go. And, um, those were fun things that I could do. And, uh, I was kind of more nomadic, uh, and fishing. Are there any, like, um, any memorable places you've been that really stick out that I, I love what you said about that experience in second grade, going to India for a period of time, sort of opened your yeah. eyes to, there are these places all over the world that are unlike where I currently live. And 
I'm I'm curious in all your travels, have there been any places that have sort of also stuck out in that way to you that sort of showed you a new perspective? Yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, I, I was in Reykjavik and uh, I went and saw the Northern Lights. And uh, that's a pretty spectacular thing. If anyone's uh, ever seen that, it's just uh, like a miraculous sight. Um, I think, uh, you know, recently, a couple years ago, I was in Barcelona and, um, and I think, I think my favorite cities on earth are probably like Barcelona, Mexico city and Toronto. Um, and the thing that all three of those cities have in in common is that they're like very international and just have like a ton of different cultural influences. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I really love all those cities. I've never been to... Barcelona or Mexico City, but I've been in a Toronto and I, I love how you described it because I got that similar sense that it just felt, I remember there were people speaking, I don't even remember what language, but just, and, and I'm in Chicago, you grew up in Chicago, there's people from all over yeah. places in Chicago, but I didn't realize, I don't hear a lot of other languages spoke a lot. I mean, there's Polish a lot, and but when I went to Toronto, all of a sudden I, I just felt like, it just felt like you said there was more culture and more diversity and all this that I, I didn't hadn't yeah. I guess experienced before, so that's that's interesting. Yeah, Toronto's a true melting pot. It's a really beautiful um, city, and uh, just so many different cultures and uh, so much diversity. I, I really like it. You you said that the commercial fishing, you know, the seven eight months on, you get a bag of cash and you go travel for a bit. Would you ever um, find yourself looking for that sort of not? Uh, you know, you remind me of is that remember that movie? Um, what was it called? Into the Wild, the one where the kid went up to Alaska and then unfortunately died at the bus. But he was kind of looking to get away from his his life and maybe his parents. There's all sorts of controversy. Um, not that you were like <laughs> uh, wild and um, <laughs> young and naive and all that, but I'm curious. Like now, you've you know this was years ago that you did this, and you sort of have found this amazing career in the tech industry and, and doing things you love. Do you ever foresee yourself in the future, like kind of ripping off that Band-Aid again and running out and then looking for that something else? Or was that sort of like you did that and you're you're good now? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely not good now. I uh, I crave that a lot. I think about it a lot. I think, um, you know, I'll have to find something that um, is suitable to my physical body. Uh, because I'm not sure that like physically my body could keep up with the demands of, uh, crab fishing anymore. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, um, I would like to work for active campaign for, uh, another 10 years and then, uh, figure out, you know, like what I want to do next and, um, figure out, uh, what the next adventure is. I, uh, I've always wanted to hike the Appalachian trail. Do you know much about that, Tim? Uh, that's like a that's like a twenty to thirty yeah. day hike, uh, um, just like in the woods. I, there's something uh, very romantic uh, about that to me, like just ripping off the wires and uh, removing yourself from your you know your cell phone and uh, just being in the woods, uh, not indefinitely, but for a period of time, and hopefully coming away from that experience with uh, something elevated that you can apply to the next chapter of your life. Uh, that's, 
what I was able to do uh, with, you know, that's how I kind of like used crab fishing. And uh, I think I'll probably find another adventure later on in my life, hopefully, that I can kind of do the same thing with. I've, I'm a little familiar with the Appalachian Trail. I've heard about it and I've, um, isn't it like 2,000 miles or something? Like if you do the whole thing, because you can do, I think, just portions of it. But if you do the whole thing, it's yeah. like you said, it's a haul. Yeah, I think like you can do, man, I, you know what? I'm not going to pretend like I know too much about this subject, but um, I watched a documentary about someone who uh, um, hiked the uh, Appalachian Trail and they were in the woods for 30 days. It was a really long hike. I think it was something like, yeah, it was it was over a thousand miles uh, and it sounded wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I've been backpacking once in my life. I was 15. It was out in New Mexico in the Rockies for 10 yeah. days. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned about yourself in, you know, your early 20s doing the crab fishing, physical shape. I think about that like I, I was 15, so an even totally, you know, probably different, great physical shape. And I always think, like, could I go back to the Rockies today and do that, you know, 10-day, 60-mile thing? But it that feeling even then of un, of disconnecting like you said i i yearn to yeah. go back to do something like that so like appalachian trail sounds it, fantastic Tim. i i yeah? definitely think you can do it i'm a i'm a big supporter that like the the human body even as it uh, you know like ages and gets older you can like push it to do things like that um in crab fishing you break a lot of bones so i think like the big difference there is that like you're going to break bones and like have bad injuries when you're um when you're crab fishing and when you're older when you're in your 40s or 50s uh it's much harder to heal from those uh types of events i like that i like your support of pushing the human body let's keep going until we physically can't yeah i know i kind of think i I will do that (laughs) earlier what i said like um you know or when i asked are you gonna maybe find another you know crab fishing chapter of your life or are you all good now? You had mentioned that no, you're not necessarily all all good now. What what did you mean by that? Um, I uh, I'm grateful that I love the career that I'm in. Um, I'm fulfilled. Like I, uh, you know, I use my brain every day. Um, I love the people I work with. Um, I think the thing that's missing for me is just that. Uh, man, I hate I hate to say this, but like. It's like the I said earlier that my fight and flight mechanism was really activated on those boats. And uh, I think that's one of the things that a lot of us, um, uh, you know, in um, we, we, we don't activate those uh, um, enough. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, you necessarily should. It, it, it's, you know, it's usually a, a signal that there's danger present when, when those things happen. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I think it's a human, I think it's human to um, experience true like fight or flight mechanisms and uh, um, you know, being in offices and um, being in front of screens all day. Um, I, uh, um, I think that's probably doing something uh, to us that's limiting our ability to like feel the world around us truly. Um, so uh, I, I do kind of miss that, and maybe maybe that's just another like a synonym for adrenaline. I'm not I'm not quite sure, but 
um, I think there's something quite human in activating those responses. Um, and on a day-to-day basis, regularly, we don't. I so resonate with that. I would... I, I think I feel that way too, because it's almost like the thrill and not even the thrill, but the way you said of just feeling, um, I just read somewhere that someone had a stat that the average person spends like 95% or somewhere north of 90% of their time in their life indoors. And, you know, it's, there's so much beauty and feeling outside. And yeah. so many of us don't in our lifetime, take the time to experience that, um, uh, yeah, I, I share that too. It's and it's a delicate balance, right? Because how do you, you know, you can be fulfilled in so many different ways, but how do you ensure that you're still, you know, they're not spending ninety five percent of your life inside, right? Like, how do you ensure you're getting outside and especially someone like yourself, you know, knowing everything that's out there through your travels. Yeah, and that's a really good call out. Like, I think a better way to put it is is what you just said, which is just feeling closer to nature, um, not necessarily like activating those adrenaline uh, mechanisms in your brain, but um, just feeling closer to nature. And we miss a lot um, of, uh, uh, you know, what it is to be human uh, by spending 95% of our time indoors and in front of screens and things like that. Yeah. I know for myself, like whenever I get the chance to, you know, go outside and just even go for a walk and feel the fresh air, like it changes my whole day for the positive. Like, yeah, I mean, especially during this COVID period, you know, the past 10 months, um, you know, working from home, I've every morning made it a commitment to myself to go for a walk, um, you know, depending on the temperature, it could be shorter or longer. But like, I know that if I don't start my day going outside, the who I am as a person, I'm not going to, the day's not going to be the way it should be for me. For yourself, what do you kind of find in that connection to, to being outside? Like, what is, does it energize you or is it some sort of like meditation or just calmness? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think it's great that you've identified that and that you have a, a, a kind of like a, you know, a way in which you express that. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I try to go on hikes like every other day with my dog, like in the woods. And um, I've got, you know, I'm lucky enough where there are a couple of like nice waterfalls and uh, like big trails near my house. Um, so I can do that. And, uh, that's, it's very meditative, you know, like it's a really good way to decompress after that. I think like, you know, when, when you're bombarded with, uh, like news feeds and things like this, um, that's not a good way to decompress after work or to like think or be reflective. Um, uh, nature has, uh, a very good way of, um, assisting with that in a, in a much healthier way. And so, yeah, I try to do it. I try to get out. Um, I admittedly, I don't always, uh, uh, execute on that plan, but I, I try to get out as much as I can. And I always, uh, I'm the same, uh, Tim, as I, I notice like, uh, my mental health is like much healthier when I'm able to allocate time to do that. Yeah. I, I found too, that like when I'm, you know, either stressed or anxious or stuck on something, whether it's work or life, and I just can't get past something mentally that, I mean, you know, there's that phrase, I think with building startups, you know, get out of the building, um, but sometimes literally getting out of the building just completely changes everything for me. Like I have this renewed perspective on whatever it is I'm trying to overcome. And it's, you know, it's something I've definitely taken to heart where I, especially, you know, we're talking about here in Chicago, it's cold and, 
you know, there'll be times where it's like, I don't want to go outside. It's, it's freezing and I know I'm going to be cold, but I also know that that's still going to make a difference. So it's, it's, um, it's something that I'm really happy. I finally became aware of that, uh, no matter what, you know, getting out of the building is, is a very helpful thing. Yeah, I totally agree. In, in, um, regular, like non COVID times, uh, sometimes I'll even just like take a quick, like cheap flight down somewhere and just like put myself in a completely new environment just for the weekend um, and come back. And it's just, you know, I think there's something to be said about just like putting yourself in a completely different uh, like physical uh, space that gives you a totally unique perspective and a different headspace so that when you come back to that familiar physical space that is maybe your office, uh, you can think about problems in, in different ways. I, I don't know if that applies to everyone, but that certainly uh, helps me and helps me uh, be a better thinker. I love that idea. I want to take that idea when when traveling comes back and it's, you know, we're all yeah. a little bit more mobile. Um, when, I, I'm curious, your, um, your sister, when you were sort of um, going through this, you know, dropping out of school and kind of heading out to Alaska and figuring all this out. What did your sister think of all that? Do you, do you both have like a good relationship? Was she supportive? Yeah. You know, again, my, my family, uh, my mom and sister, uh, particularly have always, <clears throat> excuse me, been, uh, very supportive of me. Um, I think they thought I was crazy, uh, during, uh, a lot of, uh, periods of my life. My sister was at Reed college, um, in Portland. Um, and, uh, uh, while I was fishing. So, um, we, we wouldn't speak too much. I mean, she was busy with college life. Um, I would see her on like holidays. Uh, this was pre 2007. So like people weren't texting so much, you know, like I think people weren't as quite as connected. Um, but, um, yeah, she was absolutely supportive. Uh, she just, you know, recognized she had a kind of a crazier older brother. (laughs) Does she still feel that way? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to, when well, you said 2007, I graduated college in 2007. And when you just said that, that people weren't texting as much and, and disconnected, I thought to myself, yeah. wow, that, that was 13 years ago. And you're right. We weren't texting as much. Like, yeah. Why, I just, in my head, I, I can't connect the dots there. What happened? It's like overnight, all of a sudden we're, we're texting like this and we're connected and there's no disconnection and we're all intertwined 24 yeah. seven. Yeah, we're kind of taking this podcast into like a, a like it's like you know into like an offshoot here, but um, yeah, I, I, and I don't you know think that I had worse uh, quality relationships uh, back then before we no. were able to stay connected through smartphones. So I think that's interesting, and um, I don't think um, you know these uh, online interactions that were so. Um, uh, used to and addicted to uh, today are creating higher quality uh, relationships with our friends, but we certainly have a uh, higher volume uh, of, uh, of, of uh, you know, some superficial and some uh, true uh, friendships. But um, yeah, we didn't have that uh, prior to 2007. It was much different. Yeah, I guess I had just completely forgotten. You just made me remember that there was a whole different time back then. And mm-hmm. I don't know, in some ways it does feel like it was that long ago, but in other ways it does not feel like it was that long ago and it feels like overnight it all changed. Yeah. You mentioned that, um, you know, you 
great career and, and love what you're doing now, but you're, you're always looking for ways to get outside and sort of, you know, fulfill that part of your life. You know, once COVID's over and, you know, whenever this is in the future that we are able to sort of continue that part of our life, do you have any like, not bucket list items, but do you have any like, this is sort of, you know, like, for example, my dad and I have been trying now for two years to go to the Grand Canyon and, and Sedona. We've never been to either. Cool. Um, first year was my, I got a torn meniscus, couldn't hike, had to get surgery. And then second year, COVID. And so now we're thinking next year. Um, do you have anything like that where you sort of are like, this is the place I'm ready to go to as soon as the doors open back up? Uh, not really. You know, like I've always wanted to eat food in Tokyo. Um, I've never been to Tokyo. So I think like in the next couple of years, uh, pandemic allowing, I will um, I will try to go to Tokyo. Um, but other than that, um, why why eat no. food in Tokyo? Just specifically looking to experience their cuisine or? Yeah, it's it's kind of like the holy grail of like seafood, um, and I'm, oh, a, okay. I'm a pretty big seafood aficionado. So um, I, I've always wanted to kind of go and have uh, you know like sushi or um, just experience the um, the. There's a big fish market there called Sakiji, and I wanted to. I've always wanted to like just go walk through that and uh, eat um fish right off the right off the carts <laughs> um so yeah i mean tokyo is probably like if i have a bucket list place it's probably tokyo right now but uh i don't know does your bucket list change a lot or is it static because uh, mine seems to change i don't know if i have a bucket list like as okay. i'm asking you this i'm like i don't even know it. like there's things i <laughs> yeah. want to do but i haven't written them down and i aren't i'm not necessarily tracking my progress i would to answer your question okay. though i do think yeah that it would change or it does change like because i think our perspective my perspective changes on life as i grow older right so i think the things that i deem important are are changing so um but i don't have an official bucket list anywhere even in my head i don't think yeah I that's bad. I, don't, I don't either it's it's good to know that i'm not the only one that doesn't have a static <laughs> bucket list uh there there are things that we both want to do but um yeah i don't have anything like written down and like trying to check it off my list before I pass away or something. Yeah. And especially cause like I'm a huge believer and you don't know what you don't know. Right. Like, so for example, if, if I had a static bucket list, ideally if I'm living life and experiencing things, there's going to be things I didn't know about that I now know about yeah. that might, I might want to add to my bucket list. So if, I, I hope it's changing because otherwise maybe I'm not experiencing enough that if I'm only sticking yeah. to the same like 15 items for my entire life. Totally. Yeah, there, there's a there's a big part of that. And, you know, also, like, I kind of, um, you know, having my dad pass away at a young age and uh, and probably also going through the experiences of crab fishing, um, you know, like, you, you never know what's going to happen in life. Life is short. So, like, I don't like having these things on my list that I'm going to do before I die. Because if it's something I want to do, I'll just do it as quickly as I can. Because, you know, like... Uh, there's so much uncertainty in life. Oh, absolutely. I'm. Do you find? Do you consider yourself a like short-term thinker, long-term thinker? Like I, I'm someone who very short-term. I've learned, <laughs> and I also have a friend. I know uh, people that are very future-thinking people. Like they actually have mm -hmm. trouble living kind of in the present because their mind is so focused on the future. Where do you think you fall on that spectrum? 
I think I'm a pretty analytical thinker. So kind of the way I break it down is I have like micro and macro goals. And so I've got um, like one or two macro goals. Like one of my macro goals is I want to buy a house in New Mexico and uh, have that, you know, like, you know, have that be kind of like a home base of mine um, and, uh, and, and, and live under the stars of New Mexico. That's like a macro goal. Uh, but then of course I've got, you know, infinity micro goals that have to do with, uh, work and, you know, friendships and life in general. So, um, um, I don't know if I'm a short or long-term thinker, but I think it's, it's good to have like a smaller volume of long-term goals because, those things always change, as we talked about, um, and then a higher volume of uh, micro goals on a day-to-day or a, uh, maybe a annual uh, level. Do you find yourself like putting timeframes around those macro micro goals, or is it more just like in my lifetime I want to achieve these goals? Um, yeah, I've got timeframes around the macro goals and there, there's certainly more, um, I adhere to those timeframes more on the micro goals. Cause there'll be like things around like deadlines and like, I want to do this, you know, like I want to complete this work project by Monday, right. Or something sure. like that, uh, versus I want to buy a house in New Mexico by 2025. Why New Mexico specifically? Oh man. Tim, I've driven through every single state in the U.S. Uh, I've been to all 50 of them, and there's just something so magical about New Mexico, like uh, the Red Rocks, the Stars. It's a really beautiful place. And to be honest, like everybody right now seems to be moving to Texas and Arizona and Utah and even Colorado. Like these are like hot spots for migration, uh, especially um, uh, post uh, March uh, for COVID. Um, these are places people are moving to. And uh, New Mexico is still relative, like people aren't really looking at that as a place to move. And um, so like the real estate uh, is actually um, uh, relatively affordable for the region. And it's just, it's probably one of my favorite states uh, I've ever been to. So for those reasons, I'm, I'm interested in it. Um, yeah. In, in, in living there at some point. I feel like the Western United States is such a treasure that so many of us, myself included, don't yeah. experience as much as we should. And I, I've only been to Mexico, I think, that once I described when I was backpacking in high school. Yeah. Um, and of course, that was in the middle of the Rockies. So it was absolutely like the most beautiful place I've ever been. Um, but I, I don't think I've been around to the rest of New Mexico. So now already I'm thinking this is somewhere I need to, I need to check out because I've been in Colorado. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The Western United States. I don't know if you're, you've driven through every state. So yeah, you've seen it West. all about, it. yeah. The, there's something about like the, the stars and the, um, in, uh, in that part of the, uh, country. I, I, uh, yeah, I really like the West. I, I love the East coast. I mean, New York's one of my favorite cities in the, on the planet, but, um, there's, uh, something very magical about the West. Yeah. I think I just added an item to my, my first item to my bucket list. I got to see more of the West. I'll have to make a more specific item, cool. but <laughs> there's a first draft up yeah. there. <laughs> nice, nice. So when you got into, I'm thinking back, you got into Groupon. You sort of made that bridge from that portion of your life where you do the fishing yeah. and you moved into the tech side of things. And then you, it sounds like you sort of started to like feel at home. Like you described it as I can now, 
I enjoy the chaos. It's very similar to the chaos I felt when I was crab fishing, the ups and the downs and the unpredictability. And was that, like, I guess my question is, what kept you going in tech? Because after Groupon, you know, you went to all sorts of tech companies and really, yeah. you know, had some cool experience within this industry. Was it always that sort of chaos that was bringing you along? Or did you discover other things that you enjoyed about that line of work? Yeah. I, so I think like going from fishing to tech, I think I really appreciated the chaotic nature of particularly Groupon. I mean, the fastest growing company, um, uh, uh, I believe, of all time at that time. Um, so there, there's something um, fun and, and uh, tumultuous about that. But yeah. then um, after Groupon, I was, uh, I believe, employee six of uh, a software company called Lead Pages. And so that was, um, you know, obviously still in uh, tech, but um, going from consumer software to like B2B software, um, I, uh, I kind of fell in love with the software world. And uh, at Lead Pages, I was there for two years. We were one of the fastest growing companies um, in uh, 2014, I believe, uh, 2013, 2014. We were just like exceptionally fast growing. We went from um, like six employees to about 150 in two years. And wow. um, uh, so I just kind of I fell in love with uh, the, you know, growing a software uh, company. Um, and, uh, yeah, from there I was, you know, I, I, uh, HubSpot recruited me out of, uh, lead pages. I was at HubSpot for four years. I was grateful to HubSpot because, um, you know, without formal academic training, uh, being surrounded by, you know, HubSpot's headquartered in Boston. And, uh, it seemed at the time that everybody around me had an MBA from, either uh, MIT or Harvard. And I was at all times, I felt like the dumbest person in the room. Um, I had, a, a you know, a, a, some insecurities around that, even if I'm being honest. And uh, but I learned a ton from my peers there. And um, it taught me to think analytically to taught me to think, you know, like like quantitatively. Um, I learned how to do like SWOT analysis and landscape analysis and all these things that uh, I was never taught in formal education. Uh, I kind of like learned and picked up and was taught um, at HubSpot, in, which is a highly academic uh, environment. And um, so that's kind of where I felt like I was given more formal training. Uh, so I was grateful for HubSpot for that. I was there for four and a half years. So, okay, wait. So we talked about how we both love nature and the connectedness to outside and how we maybe want to get outside more. And then you also just described how you realized you fell in love with software. And now I'm curious, those sort of feel like they might be two battling parties in your head or they'd be, they would be in my head. Um, how do you balance that? Like, is that, uh, I guess it's, I'm sort of like, they don't, it doesn't compute. I can't love software, but also want to be outside. Yeah. I think you can do both. I mean, like what I did, um, you know, during that time and what I still do is I just make sure that I um, allocate some free time to go travel and explore new places. But what I love about software is that it, um, and this is true in, you know, other fields as well, but like, it's extremely challenging, like mentally, like, 
um, you know, you're, you're brainstorming, you're, you're problem solving. I mean, in, in your role as well, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're brainstorming, problem solving, helping a customer overcome something. Um, and I think that's rewarding and, uh, it is to me. And, um, so I like it. I like the industry, but, uh, yeah, there's, that's, um, it's, you know, staring at a screen for eight, nine hours a day, sometimes more. And um, I think you have to have a healthy balance of being able to pull yourself away from that. Uh, like, I, you know, like I, like everyone else, am addicted to social media. I have to have an app on my phone that uh, when I've been on uh, Instagram or Facebook for more than 45 minutes a day, like an alarm goes off and tells me to get uh, to stop doing this and shuts my apps down. So like, you know, like I, I think you have to make a conscious effort to uh, pull yourself out of, um, uh, you know, technology or uh, and, and, and force yourself into the natural world or go outside and take a walk. Uh, but you can you can do both. You can uh, you can like software and uh, also um, enjoy the rewards of traveling in nature. I like that you identified sort of the mental challenge that you get from you know your your work in software and why you fell in love with software because it exercises that part of your you know who you are. Like it challenges you mentally, and I, I like yeah. that because that's very true. I think there's. You know, there's all sorts of different things we can be doing with our time every day, but the ability to understand the benefit from each of those things in, you know, I think that's great. That's a great way to kind of ensure that you're being fulfilled as a as a whole rather than just specific parts and some gaps in there. Yeah. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for, for chatting and, and for regaling about your commercial fishing days and, and everything. I I still can't imagine doing that um i think that's so cool and um i imagine that you know that time of your life will always be a, a great memory yeah thanks so much thanks for doing this podcast tim it's uh you have um uh far better guests than me um but uh that um you know i i like your podcast i've listened to a number of episodes and uh thanks for doing it thanks for listening to we're only human before you go, I would love to know what you had for breakfast this morning. Just send me an email, tim at we'reonlyhumanpodcast.com, and let me know what you had for breakfast this morning. Thanks.